0: Monica and friends, my name is Jacob. It's uh, good to see you. That's how we greet one another uh, where we live in South Asia, and it is a joy to be here. It's a unique joy that uh, my wife and I have um, to be here with you. We have uh, prayed for you, and uh, actually, there's something in my um, book there. Would you grab that for me? Um, we pray for you and for your pastors on a regular basis. I just didn't bring it up here. Um, I'm not sure if I can walk in front of this speaker. I don't want to create a a situation. I do enough of that in my life, um, so I don't want to do that. Um, this is not the right one, actually. It's another popsicle stick. <laughs> Sorry. This is how it works on the field. You just kind of go with the flow. One of the first rules of being a worker, please don't throw it, is uh, to be flexible and so... Um, Please don't do that. Let's trade. Okay. All right. So um, it is really good to be with you this morning. Uh, as I said, we have uh, prayed for this day and this moment. We are excited about what the Lord's doing here. Um, and just a, a visible reminder for our family, uh, we've got little popsicle sticks at our table. Now, as a, a dad of a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, 15, 13, and 9, we're working to, to try to figure out what is discipling our kids look like how do we pass on our faith you know as you read the old testament there's a lot there about giving your faith to the generations behind that it'll continue going forward so we pray a lot as a family and uh, probably not as much as we should but we really give it um, what the lord has given to us and so this little popsicle stick says hagerstown church Josh McLean and family. And uh, this is on our table. We pull it out. We've got five people at our table, five different categories to pray. And so on a regular basis, we are lifting up you and this family uh, for the work of God's kingdom. So we are really grateful for uh, your care and your kindness, your love for us. Uh, Many of you we've not met before, but um, the Lord has knit our hearts together through prayer and through partnership, and we are grateful uh, for that. I would be remiss if I didn't let you know it's Pastor Appreciation Month. I'm not a pastor, but one just stood here. There's another one in the back. This one looks like he's about to choke me. but. Pastors ought to be appreciated and loved and cared for. They carry a burden um, that is often not seen until you need them, and then you see them, and they're there. And so you've got two great men that God has called to this place to be under shepherds, under the care of the Lord Jesus himself. And so I would encourage you, this is not an encouragement to give them money. If you so choose to do that, that's fine. But I will tell you, there's a couple things you can give to a pastor. By by the way, this is not in my notes. Um, Pastor Josh Um, preaches a little bit longer than I normally would share so I just feel a real liberty in this moment um, to just kind of take a moment a couple things pastors would really appreciate number one they would appreciate encouragement and affirmation a lot of times pastors just work and labor and do so unseen and that's the way it ought to be but when uh, the congregation when the flock of God is able to just simply affirm them encourage them let them know that they are aware of the investment they are making the investment their wives are making. Uh, These brothers are gifted with the wives that they have, and these women are sacrificing much uh, for uh, the kingdom, for the work here, and so to Amber and Sarah, uh, we are grateful as a family for you and for the work that you've done and invested in our lives and making it possible for these brothers to shepherd us. So number one, affirmation and encouragement. I realize that's uh, two words when I said one. Uh, There's a joke there somewhere. Um, So um, affirmation and encouragement, number one. Number two, Um, One of the most encouraging things to a Bible preacher is a Bible-reading congregation. You reading your Bible, being deep in the Word... There is very little uh, that you can do more to encourage a pastor who opens the Bible and preaches it than when you come ready to hear it. And you will come ready to hear it when you are living in it day by day. So that's all I got, brother. I was not instructed to share that. But you know what they say in the Baptist church, you are free if you got the microphone. And so I got it. And so there you go. Let me um, just do a couple things by way of introduction. Number one. As I've said already, we are thankful for you, Uh, my wife, our children. uh, We are deeply indebted to the faithful generosity of churches just like this all across the United States. You know, there are 3,532 other families like ours scattered across the globe working to extend the work of the kingdom. And uh, that is made possible because of your generosity. And so we, again, are deeply indebted and grateful. Uh, Those 3,500 odd workers cover seven different affinities. That means they're everywhere in the world seeking to reach every people group in the world on every continent in the world except Antarctica. And so uh, we'll leave that to Hagerstown Church uh, to reach Antarctica. So pray that the Lord sends workers there and we'll be grateful for that. Uh, Next, let me say, that what I'm going to do this morning is a little different than what you uh, normally experience. That does not mean I'm not going to open the Bible up, but uh, beloved, you regularly are gifted and um, um, loved by God to receive the word faithfully proclaimed. Now, if you have spent any time in churches um, outside of maybe the one you're in right now, you know there is a uh, barren wasteland in many churches where the Bible is not proclaimed, God's word is not held up and that is not the case here. And we are deeply grateful for that. And so weekly you hear uh, the expository preaching of God's Word. In fact, I'm envious of the brother who gets to preach Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I read my loop. I hope you all did too. Um, next week you'll hear about the, the Sabbath that remains. Um, and if you are here and you have at any time in your life loved the King James Bible like I have, um, you, will, you would love, you'd be welcome to bring your King James next week. Not that Pastor Josh or Pastor Chris will preach from it, but there's a small section of the King James Bible that really opens up things for us in uh, that passage in particular. So you're just welcome and there's your preview for next week. And let me just share with you what we share uh, with every group that we step into in South Asia. It's simply this. All, all I have is a Bible study. That's it. I don't, I don't really have anything else. I don't have any fancy oration to deliver to you. I'm not a grand pulpiteer. I'm just a normal guy who loves Jesus, loves his word, and, and that's what I'm going to give to you. I don't have much else, but that's what I hope to leave behind. And if we're going to understand the scriptures today, we've got to go not by way of... Uh, Hagerstown, we've got to go by way of Jerusalem, right? That's where uh, Malachi, when he was delivering these words, he was giving it to God's people in that context. And so uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture. You can open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, and we'll talk a, a moment about um, the work that is being done in the book of Malachi and how that impacts us today. As you're turning there, consider with me, after getting your passport stamped and then showing the stamp to another guy, proceed down an escalator to the baggage claim. You'll have a place to carry all your carry-on items to. You'll put them on the scanning belt. There are tons of luggage trolleys in this place. They're free for use, but you need to know, people will try to help you and they will expect a tip from you. Once you get your luggage, go out of the exit doors, If you can find the exit doors, you should not have anything to claim. Another thing to be aware of is the bathrooms in this airport are rather unclean. Well, they're just nasty, so be careful as you enter. After exiting the airport, there will be an instant heat wave and lots of people, maybe some rain too. Go past all the people, go past all the difficulty, all the heat, all the humidity, and go to the Madras Coffee House. I'll be there waiting for you. Just look up. I'll be there. I'll notice you. You see, where we live in South Asia is an assault on all of your senses. It's overwhelming at times. I'd tell you when you step off the plane and step into our context to take a deep breath, but quite honestly, you would take both a foul smell and a foul taste at the same time. You know, we're often asked what it's like to be a missionary in another country, and we say it some days like this. It's like a hundred bad days that yield a hundred good stories, And those hundred good stories, well, they make us really interesting at parties. And so that's what our life feels like a lot. It's difficulty, but God is working in it. And we want to, for just a moment, consider what that's like for us here today. You know, living in a different place than your primary culture brings opportunities and challenges. Within the first few minutes of stepping into a new place, and you've likely experienced this before, you can be easily overwhelmed by what you don't understand. What was that I just saw? Was that an idol? Did, did a man just lay down and pray? Why is incense burning in the airport? Was that a man with no shirt on, wearing a skirt, swinging a brass bell with uh, smoke billowing out of it, chalk on his head in the middle of the lobby of a hospital? Is that really a cow in the road? Why are we driving on the wrong side of the road? Why are we driving at all? Did you see that family of six riding on a moped all together? How can I find food that won't cause ulcers in every part of my digestive tract? Why is the coffee so hot? Why can't people eat at a normal time? Why are people worshiping like that? Did they just splash cow feces and cow urine in a new house? Ever be familiar? That's been the journey we've been on over these last four years, a journey of foreign to familiar. We read a book several years ago, and that probably should have been a a notification to us, a a red flag, if you will. Things are going to be challenging. And that's been our journey, foreign to familiar. But, you know, in the midst of so many differences, so many cultural changes from trying to learn a language to understand how to eat new food with the right hand, we recognize that there are a few things and one primary thing that is consistent. And that, that one consistent, that one constant in every culture is worship. Everyone worships someone. Everyone worships something. It doesn't matter if you're in Hyderabad or Hagerstown. Everyone is worshiping. And as Christians, we are people who worship the God who has been revealed in the scriptures. Now, we are also a people people that recognize that the scriptures are not given to us by scientific method. We don't know that they're true because we decide that they're true. Rather, the Bible decides if we are true. The Bible reads us The Bible proclaims itself to be true. God has spoken. But here's what I also know from the Scriptures. The Scriptures teach us that every person worships. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts of man. Think about that for just a second. The Bible says that every person ever created, their heart has been set to eternity. So no matter where you go, from Sri Lanka to Stark, From Mumbai to Martinsburg, from Hyderabad to Hibernia, people in every place are worshiping. That's you, that's me. Many Muslims are responding to the citywide call to pray. Many Hindus are engaged in the puja at home or in the temple. Buddhists are carefully and methodically engaged in meaningful prayer. Atheists are engaged in efforts to assuage their own intellect, knowledge, or pleasure. Several Christians here in the West, maybe even here today, are going through a checklist of moral behaviors to assuage their own conscience. They stand right with God. And then there are those of us, Who have heard the clarion call of this gospel we heard about just a moment ago the gospel of Christ and we have fully surrendered to it we have said to God your gospel your truth is what is driving my life and it's to those this morning that I ask the question where must this gospel go and with one voice we together proclaim from everyone to everywhere From everyone to everywhere. That's where this gospel must go. Turn in your Bibles now with me to Malachi chapter 1. We're going to read all of verse 11 and part of verse number 14. Malachi the prophet, the Lord speaking through him says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And pick up in verse 14b. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Lord, you are a good God. You have proclaimed yourself to be a great king. Now show us, Lord, that that is the case. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So from the intellectual west to the mindful east, millions and millions of homes have yet to hear the gospel. Think about that with me for just a second. There are millions, I would say billions of people who have not had the opportunity to take their Bible for granted. They have not had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus and be so inconvenienced by it that they go on with their lives. This great name, as we see in Malachi, has not made it to all peoples and all places. It has not gone from everyone to everywhere. And so today it's to the recipients of this good news that I want to again ask the question, well then where must this gospel go? Should it simply uh, cover High Street? Should it simply cover Washington County? Or should this gospel go from everyone to everywhere? Now the gospel is is central to everything we do. I think we Say it clearly here on a regular basis in our family. The gospel matters. The gospel drives. It's the foundation for us. The gospel's central. It's our good news. But, but let's not let the, the, the simplicity of that statement overwhelm us. So let me ask you. What is the good news? Are you prepared to take the gospel where it must go? I love the way an Anglican uh, pastor, teacher, and theologian once said it. He was very concerned over the complicated nature of theology, which he spent a lot of, much of his life in. But he was also concerned about normal people like me and you, that we had a simple understanding of the true gospel that changed people. John Stott said it this way. The gospel is this. God saves sinners. Now, I love that. I'm just a simple guy from Richmond, Virginia, and I love to hear God saves sinners. Can you say that with me this morning? God saves sinners. Now, there are some of us here, and you you look at Pastor Josh, you're like, I could never share the gospel. Well, look, they're recording this. We just recorded you sharing the gospel. You just said it. You just shared the gospel. God saves sinners. You say, well, I need something a little more. Well, here's something a little more to consider. The good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his own image to know him we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. And in his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He now calls us, you, me, the whole world, To repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. This is good news. This is not just good news for you and me. This is good news for all who will hear it and turn to it. And so we simply understand this morning, this is the good news. This is what must be proclaimed. This is what must travel from this place and beyond. And the, the Bible is clear, is it not? The only hope we have in this life is that God would find us and change us. Romans 1.16 says it clearly to us. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is nothing else we can do. We can't make the facility nice enough. We can't draw people enough with our personalities. It is only the gospel that changes us. And so it's this central message that we and Malachi look ahead of time to say, how will the world come to Christ through the proclamation of this gospel? In fact, Malachi, as a prophet of God, looks across time. He looks across space and he sees a picture of a preferred future, if you will. And he says, there's coming a day when God will be proclaimed glorious from the rising of the sun to the setting. That's that's unbelievable. You realize right now as we are under the rising of the sun in the east, the sun is setting. The day is finished. They are winding down, sharing their meal, washing their hands, preparing for bed, brushing their teeth, getting their kids in bed again. Right? I mean, we, we have the same challenges, the same concerns. And from the rising of the sun to its setting, God's name will be great. From the very start, this has been God's plan. God God didn't pick up a a new thing when the old thing didn't work out. God has always been about this. Think about our first parents. What did he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. Make a big family that loves me, that loves one another, and shares with everyone who will come after them how great and glorious I am. You see, I'm not so sure. Well, just move a little bit forward to Abram, Abraham, Sarah, Sarah. We recognize. What does he say to them? Make a big family who loves me, who will worship me and take my name to the ends of the earth. And we see it all through the Old Testament. So let me simply ask you here this morning, where must this gospel go? Malachi answers it in three specific areas. Notice with me area number one. He says, the gospel must go to every place the sun touches. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name Will be great among the nations we live in South Asia that's a long way from here in fact where we live is 8367 miles from Hagerstown Maryland that's a long way but you know what by God's grace every morning the sun comes up every evening the sun goes down you know preachers struggle through much of their week to figure out the right illustration to deliver. Well, I had very little work this week as it relates to illustrations because God has given us an illustration, hasn't he? He's given us sunsets and sunrises. Now, you're likely one person or the other, right? You love a good sunrise or you love a good sunset. But we all recognize the beauty of creation, right? Did you know in the Maldives, uh, sunsets are more expensive than sunrises. Uh, it's, it's actually true. If you go to one of those resort islands, which many of us will never get the opportunity to go to because it's so far away and it's kind of so expensive, it costs more money to stay on the sunset side. Now, I don't know. I guess we just decide when we get to the Maldives, we like to see the sunset more than we'd like to see the sunrise. Maybe that's because of a long night celebrating the glory of, the God, into, or glory of God into the early morning. I'm not sure. But sunsets are more expensive. But here's what I, I understand from the Scripture that there might be clouds, there might be night, but there's no place that the sun doesn't touch. Everywhere. Consider Psalm 19 in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Or Psalm 148, verses 3 through 4. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. We can't even start to understand how big that is. And God says, everything the sun touches. You know, there are 195 sovereign nations in the world. There are 24 major time zones. I recognize there are some smaller ones. 12,009 people groups. 7,362 unreached people groups. That means they may have some access to the gospel. There are 3,175 people. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. You go to a church where if you looked at your pastor's sermons, their word count on Jesus would be incredibly high, right? Like, it's not just something we print on the loop. It's all about Jesus. Like, we we really, there's power in the name of Jesus, right? We recognize that. And I'm not talking about some shekinery. I'm talking about the proclamation of Jesus as a person, as God, changes everything. But there are 3,175 people groups that have never even heard his name. Let me give you a short missionary lesson. You'll recognize a people group as an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that the gospel travels upon. So so for us, maybe that's, we're Americans. We've got a a cultural understanding of who Christ is. You might say, well, that's not true in a pejorative sense. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a group of people that can self-identify and have some characteristic that would place us in the same group. And so we would say there are people groups. Now, consider an unreached people group. This is a group of people that has less than 2% of that people group, specific people, group, whether it's 100 people or 100 million, that have a gospel witness. But it, it is there. It's just incredibly small. But then an unreached and unengaged people group. So, so here's why a, a church like Hagerstown Church praying for the Upara or the Tamil-speaking Jains, or the Nari Kurovar is so important. As best we know, there's no one seeking to take the gospel into that people group. The Nadi Kauravar, they're the snake-catching people. When you've got problems in South India, you call somebody from the Nadi that That's their life. That's their job. Imagine your job. You wake up tomorrow morning. And it's like, all right, I'm going to go catch a speckled cobra, king cobra today. Raja Nagam, here I come. That's how you say um, king cobra in, in the language that we learn. And that's what you do all day, every day. It's like, Pastor Jamie, hey, I'm going to go. I-, I got a snake here. Come get it. I mean, we're not talking about Crocodile Dundee. We're talking about people who are really going after cobras. That's all they do. But as best we can tell, no one is being sent there. But not only that, if you're unengaged and unreached, there's no one even dropping a need to carry your name to the throne of heaven. That's why it's so important for churches all across the United States to take up arms and pray for these unengaged and unreached people groups. So here's what we come to understand. Malachi is not directing us to think in geopolitical boundaries. He's leading us not to think about um, immigration, rights, sovereign territories. Rather, he's driving us to see the necessity of God's glory and name being extended to every place the sun touches, every single place. Essentially, the prophet's showing us and making it clear that there's no place in all of creation that God's name will fail to be worshiped. Now that... That's hope giving. This is a a promise laid in here. He says, every place that the sun rises, every place that the sun sets, look, that puts fuel in your tank when you're on the field far from home and you can't hear from anybody. Signals are down. You can't get out. You're stuck in a 900-foot apartment and you know the sun came up this morning and God's not finished yet. You see, Malachi 11 is both true and yet not fulfilled. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, simply stated, this is already but not yet. But you need to know, brothers and sisters, it will be the case. There is coming a day when every people group will stand before the Lord. Think with me in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, lest you think, oh, this is anchored in the Old Testament. No, no, Jesus picks up on this as well. He says in Mark 16.15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Matthew 24 and 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That's literally all peoples. All 3,157 people groups that have yet to hear the glorious name of Christ, they will hear it. And then the end will come. From our first parents, God was creating a family of worshipers and he's still doing that today. God's plan and man's path diverge when sin entered But God has created a way for all of that to be made right in the person of Christ. And he did that by sending. You see, our God is ascending God. He was, he is, and he will be ascending God. And so we recognize that and so we celebrate. What's the first area that the gospel must go? It must go to every place the sun touches. But notice also... The gospel must go to every place people worship. He says here, And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The gospel must go to every place people worship. Think with me. Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the big five. Oh, but there's more, right? Atheism, hedonism, humanism, Taoism, Jainism, Sikhism, Zoroastrianism, and... The Baha'i faith. You think, I don't even know what some of those are. Did you just make those words up? How could those people worship? How do those people worship? Well, transparently, we are not sure how all those people worship. If we put our collective ideas together today, we might leave someone out. But here's what we do know everyone worships. That's what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. Again, looking for an illustration, Malachi provides one for us, does he not? He says, look, The prophet uses the idea of incense here. Now, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I had no idea what incense was. In fact, I I just assumed after the upbringing that I had that it might be something nefarious, that you had uh, something uh, up your sleeve, doing something that you weren't supposed to do. That's when incense came out. And so my parents just said, look, don't mess with incense and don't mess with people who mess with incense. But then I read the Bible and it's like, wait a second. God talks about incense. So I began to ask questions. What is this different word? What is this different use? Well, let me, let me locate you in South Asia for just a second. Lenz and I live in a city where there are 10.5 million people. Now, for those 10.5 million people that live in a temperature of 100 to 115 degrees all the time, humidity is somewhere between 98 and 100% um, all the time. So it's really hot. It's really sticky. It's really uncomfortable. And there's lots of people. And so for ten and a half million people, the civil and structural engineers in our city decided it would be really wise if you put all the waste from all those people in one location. So imagine that. All the trash, all the garbage, all the food waste, all the human waste, it's all in one place. Well, in God's divine providence, we lived about a kilometer from there. And so you can imagine what our life was like. There was a foul, acrid smell just all the time. So we walked into our language class, and uh, we noticed a, a really quite refreshing smell. And so uh, we looked at the, the man, I'll just call him Jay, and we said, sir, what, what is that smell? And he said, oh come in. And so he took us into like the, the inner sanctum of his uh, very small language classroom. And uh, we saw uh, Ganesh was sitting there. Ganesh is a, one of the gods in the Hindu pantheon of gods. And Ganesh is sitting there and he's on the shelf. Obviously, it's a little statue. It's an idol. And right beside Ganesh, there's incense that has been offered. And I just thought, oh, you know, it's like for breeze. That's how they kind of, you know, chase things away. And uh, as I started to talk to him, I recognized it has nothing to do with the smell. And it has everything to do with his mind being drawn to a place that he's able on a regular basis to engage with the God who he believes is guiding his life. You see, he'd come in in the morning, he'd light the incense, and it would give off this very fragrant but very thick smoke in this very small space. And Jay would just stand there, and that that smoke, that smell, that fragrance would just saturate every part of him. Now, what might have been pleasant for me to smell was an act of worship for him. See, all that left was left of that incense when it was over was just a little pile of dust. But he'd go sit in his chair, <clears throat> and there were moments where we would be working, and we would just see him. <coughs> Excuse me, And it looked like he was praying. And I asked him one day, what are you doing? He said, I smell the incense, and I remember who I belong to. Oh, this now malachi i'm starting to understand in every place incense is burned my name will be made great a pure offering will be given for me you see incense although it's not familiar to us it's very familiar to the scriptures it's a a clear understanding of of a way to worship it permeates every part of a person how they use their time where they go what they do and no matter what you communicate it to other people no matter where he went whether it was the tea stall or whether it was the chai shop, whether it's to get a sandwich, or whether it's to go home, everyone knew if he had been worshiping. You see, our verb here is a, a technical expression denoting not only the burning of incense but all other offerings as well. It seems as though Malachi's got like a, if you will, a, a junk drawer of offerings. He's saying everywhere offerings are given. That's that's where. My name will be proclaimed, which is great hope for us, right? Like if you've got unsaved loved ones like I do, you know they're worshiping something. They're worshiping someone. Maybe the idols of their own heart, but they're worshiping. But Malachi says there's coming a day when every place worship is offered. God will be made great. Where must this gospel go? Every place people worship. The offering represents both the surrender of a thing And surrender of the person. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. It's almost like Paul's pleading with us. What does he say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I just like to think Paul is saying, look, it's time to step onto the incense sand and allow your life to be an offering to God. Holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. This is the, the work that we do. We yield ourselves to God. You know, where we live, there are 312 million people in the little four-state area. Y'all are in the tri-state area, I guess the, in our quad-state area, 312 million people. Now, if you took that the geography or that, that swath of geography out and just set it aside, that would be the, the fourth largest country in the world, 312 million people. Can I tell you what that is? That's a lot of worship. And they are worshiping in any number of ways. Think about Allah, Krishna, Morgan. Ganesh, Shiva, Hanuman, the little flying monkey god, he's in all the cars where we live. Kali, Lakshmi, so many more. It's, is it okay for me to say, if, you're, if I'm where you are, that's just foreign to me. I don't, even know, I don't even know how to comprehend that. What do you mean, Hanuman, a flying monkey? Ganesh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, a god who's got an elephant head and a long trunk, like I'm supposed to worship that? The fact that they bring a Brahmin priest into a hospital, a sanitary place, and he is swinging a brass ball that's billowing smoke, and he has no shirt on. He's got chalk on his head, and he's chanting. Like, I'm I'm dreading the doctor when I go to the hospital, but I'm not thinking about this guy most of the time. And it's like everybody's stopping. There's a man laying on the floor he's worshiping in the midst of it all you're riding in an auto that's the the transportation of choice in South Asia it's like a it, I don't even know how to describe it you're just riding it this guy's driving it's like a moped with a roof and lots of people in it and you're just in there and he drives by and there's a there's a temple right there and this brother just takes his hands off and it's like bro you got to make sure because he takes his hands off and he's like praying to Ganesha over here we're continuing to go that way I'm uncomfortable yet secure and I'm thinking this is not going well so here's what I did I asked him if I could drive so I started driving autos in South Asia it's been quite an experience but here's what I'm I'm keenly aware of no matter where we go people worship Look, we we see it we sense it we talk to a Brother uh, in Gettysburg, Pastor Josh and I were there just last week, and this brother lived in a small apartment complex in New Jersey. And he was telling us about how he grew up in his Catholic faith but had some Muslim friends and some Hindu friends. And he went to weddings and didn't understand any of it. And so what do we do? We recognize this guy's worshiping as well. So we want to get our minds and our mouths geared toward just giving out. The gospel, why? Because God is, is going to be glorified in, in that guy's worship too, Lord willing, right? So we want to see the glory of God demonstrated and displayed everywhere worship is offered. And so, brothers, sisters, you have a stewardship in this as well. And it's not just to make sure that handsome and beautiful young couple in your loop get to the field. Yes, it's that. But that's, that's just the, the extra part. You have a responsibility and stewardship of this place. I'm just going to assume there are other gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches, but but together, you all. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> trying to think. like Clearly, that, that brother is... <clears throat> I don't know when deacon no- nominations come up, but we all want to consider that fellow. So, the deacon of water. Um, give a cold cup? I'm not sure. Anyway, so but he, here's what I'm aware of. When we consider what Malachi is leading us to here, this is every place the sun touches, every place that people worship. And from South Asia to South Hagerstown, we are called to engage in this. It's not work just for the brothers or sisters that are leading ministry teams and groups. It's for every one of us, normal, everyday people just like us. I'm not a pastor. I'm not even allowed to tell people I'm a missionary. I work in a logistics company. I really do. And by day, I run a logistics company. And by life, I share the gospel with people. I talk to pastors and say, let's go out and tell people that our glorious God is worthy of being worshipped everywhere he's not worshipped. Every place the sun touches, every place people worship. And then finally the writer says, In every place that he's not known. Look with me, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. That means reach people groups, unreach people groups, unreached and unengaged people groups, Hindus, Muslims, Jains, Buddhists. Every place that he's not known, he will be worshipped. God is a great king, and his name will be feared among all nations, all peoples and all places. I I long for the day when we, like Paul, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 23 says, there's no place left. Aren't y'all excited about that? When we can say of Hagerstown, of Washington County, there is no place left for us to preach the gospel. There's no place left where God's name is not being lifted up and glorified, where pure offerings are not being offered everywhere in this place. God is is being praised. I long for that. I live for that. I was sent for that. You are sent for that. You know, I think it's important for us to remember who Malachi was talking to. Malachi was talking to the Pastor Josh's and Pastor Chris's and the Deacon Bryan's of this day. <laughs> Y'all like what I did there? Just kind of pushing out a little bit. That's what preachers do. We just kind of push out and see how much ground we can take, and then we just keep going. Uh, so <laughs> I won't tell all the secrets. Um, former life. So here's what Malachi is doing. He's coming to a place, he's speaking to a people, and it is quite firm. It is quite heavy-handed. Malachi, when the Lord is speaking through it, there, there really are no smiles in the book of Malachi. It, it gets to the end, and it's, it's a joyful picture of what's to come. But, but God's people have not done what God has called them to do. They've not honored him for who he is worthy of because of who he is, but not only have God's people come up short, the leaders of God's people have not done what God called them to do. And he says to them emphatically as he closes chapter one, I am a great king. Y'all ever been there as a parent? Like I've got a 12 year old who's uh, believing at this point, he is close to to manhood, right? Voice is starting to change and he's just kind of popping his shoulders out a little bit and it's like every once in a while, I'll just look at him and I'll say, I am your dad. And he's like, all right, I got it. I'm just, you know, he'll just kind of back away. And I know it won't always be like that, but that's what happens in Malachi 1.14. God says, I'm a great king. You see, the Israelites, they knew great king. They, they had that in their mind. They remembered Artaxerxes. They remembered Osterhosis. They remembered Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius, all these guys that were great, harsh, and unwilling to yield their glory. They had that in their purview. And the Israelites had A gracious, good God that was loving them. Read the book of Psalms. It's the loving kindness of God. The steadfast love of the Lord remains in his people. And and he says, you've you've kind of taken all that for granted. And I want you to know in this glorious display, I am a great king and my name will be feared. That, That word fear is a little difficult in South Asia because Hindus are scared to death of everything they live by fear. And so their lives are driven by fear. Their behavior is driven by fear. But that's not what Malachi is saying here. He's saying, my name will be revered. My name will be honored. I think you had an honored guest in your city this week. And it doesn't matter if you liked them or not. You respected that someone was here. Am I right? I think the president of the United States was in Hagerstown. Did y'all, were y'all not here? Y'all are out of town. I mean, whether you like him or not, whether you revere him or not, like there is honor that we give, right? And y'all are like, please don't preach a political sermon. I'm not, I've never been that guy. Don't intend to be that guy. But you recognize when someone important comes into your presence, whether it's the dictator of a foreign country, whether it's a dignitary here locally, we recognize that. And what had happened The Israelites failed to recognize just how great their God was. And he says to them, where must this gospel go? Everywhere I am not known. Everywhere he is not known, that is where this gospel may be proclaimed. And brothers and sisters, it may be this morning that you don't have to go to South Asia to find a place that God's name is not made great. It might be in your own home. It may be in your own heart. Zechariah says in Zechariah 14 on another prophet in the Old Testament, the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord, the one Lord will be his name. The gospel must be made known in every place he's not known. And then the end will come. You know, I believe Malachi being a prophet was able to see a picture of a future to come. And now turn with me real quick as we finish up in Revelation chapter 7. I want us to see a picture. I believe this is what Malachi saw. I think he saw the gospel proclaimed in every people, in every place, from everyone to everywhere. I believe Malachi saw that idea of no place left. No place left for the gospel to be preached. Revelation chapter 7, this is the picture I believe he saw and the hope for which we are reaching. Chapter seven, verse nine. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. <laughs> I, I'm convinced they're not going to be speaking in English. They're going to be speaking with every tongue, from every people in every place. That that means Tamar. That means. Hindi, that means good old boy Southeastern English, that means British English, that means West Coast English, that means the people from the Northeast that we can't really understand, but we're kind of from, you know, it's all over the globe, Portuguese, Spanish, Chinese, Mandarin, Taiwanese, I mean, the the glory of God will be magnified by every tongue, Think about it. There's not one language. You know, I have struggled for the last four years of my life to be able to speak to people in their language. And you know what got me through over and over? There has never been a word in any language, any language that God doesn't understand. There's never been one heart, one mouth that called out to him that he's like, I can't understand you. Can I learn that language? And I don't understand that. God doesn't say that. Every person that calls out to God, he's like, I'm right here. I love you. Christ is here. You can be, I mean, it's all there from every tribe, every nation, all peoples, all places, standing before the throne, clothed in white robes. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We live in an area covered in darkness. Five in the morning, we hear the call to prayer. At nine o'clock in the morning, we smell incenses being burned to the gods of the Hindu pantheon, and, and no, we see we see people worshiping idols of, of Mary on one side of the street and an idol on, of Shiva on the other side of the street, and we weep over both. But this says it's not over. We're going to rally at the finish. Like we'll get there one day. And, and, brother, I think you're preaching Hebrews 4 next week. We strive for that day. Hebrews 4 says strive for the, the rest that's to come. Jesus, the Son of God, will give us that rest. And this is a picture of it. There's coming a day when all of Hagerstown will experience the glory of Christ. Man left hopeless was given promises by God which have always been uphill. A guy who's been a mentor to me over the years from afar, he says it this way. The Old Testament is is summed up in promises made. And the New Testament is a picture of promises kept. And here we see it. Malachi makes the promise. I am a great king and from the time the sun rises to the time the sun sets. I will be Brooklyn. I will be honored. And we see without question, without fail, not from deduction, not from the scientific method, but because God Himself has spoken it. Every people, every place, every tribe, every nation, how. How will this gospel be sent? And we've talked about where must this gospel go in our language. That's yenge. You can say it with me. We'll have some fun. Yenge. Try it again. Yenge. That's where. Where. But we want to ask the question now, how? This is a fun word in Tamil. Yippity. Say it with me. Yippity. It's almost like you're from Texas and got a cowboy hat on, right? Yippity. Yippity is the word how. How must this gospel go? You know, I have come to realize in my few short years of life, there are so many that are willing to hear, but there are so many unwilling to share. May it not be said of us, brothers and sisters, oh, that, that's a lampstand that has to be removed. You know, I'm, I'm overjoyed when I consider what God is doing here. And I I hope and I pray that when you ask the question, how must this gospel go, you don't ask it in light of that couple in the loop. You ask it in light of your own life. How must this gospel go to every place the sun touches? How must this gospel go to every place he's not known? How must the gospel go to every place people worship? You know, when I consider this, I I think about a a couple that God has placed in our lives that we deeply love. And uh, I can't share their names with you, but I, I will share part of their story. This brother and sister labored for 40 years faithfully here in America. Forty years, this is my last-ditch effort to put a small rock in your shoe to make you really uncomfortable with where you are, to unsettle you, to, to ask that question, how must this gospel go? This brother worked for 40 years faithfully doing the job that he had been created to do. His wife faithfully worked the job that she was created to do. They raised a family, and they made it. They retired. They retired. They got to where many of us as Americans were aiming for. If I can just make it to retirement, I can take a break. The the workforce will no longer need me. I can rest, and at that point, I can enjoy my life. And they got to that place, but they had this one problem. They had a preacher who regularly put the, the Bible before them, and they were able over that 40 years to see this is the trajectory of a believer is loved by God, changed by God, and sent by God. Loved by God, changed by God, sent by God. Loved by God, changed by God, sent by God. And they, they sat at that little dinner table as they entered in retirement, and they asked the question, well, should, should we listen to him? Sh- should we ask the question, where are we sent? And um, well, this is what their story looks like. He's somewhere in South Asia right now, about five foot tall, maybe three and a half to four feet wide cute little man, kind of looks like Santa Claus, he's riding on a moped, he's joining up with other believers, going to small churches, he's encouraging them with an open Bible, and he says something like this when he gets there, I don't have much, but I've got a Bible, we can study it together, and we can see your life, your family, your church, and your area transformed, just like God transformed my life. This is a 71-year-old man, he's been married longer than I've been alive, his wife is there with him joyfully. You should see him on a scooter. It is something else. <laughs> Catching Ubers, tr- transferring currency, understanding how people are talking, giving their lives. They're giving the what many people say is the rest of their life. This is the why they say it. We're giving the best of our life to the best work that God has for us. And so Hagerstown Church, might I let you finish the sermon? How must this gospel go forth? Father, we thank you. For the work that you've done, the work that you're doing, and the work that you have yet to do. Lord, the work that we can't see, the life that we have yet to live, we ask that you would lead us, Lord, for your glory and for our own joy. And God, we do pray from Hagerstown to Hyderabad, from this city to every city, from everyone to everywhere, that your name would be made great. Lord, we long for the day from the rising of the sun to its setting that your name is known. Lord, we wrestle toward that place that we see no place left for the gospel to be proclaimed. That people in every place have heard and responded in faith, seeing and savoring the God we so love and cherish, who has come to us, loved us, changed us, and now sent us. So, Lord, we ask that you would work among us. Lord, I pray that you would unsettle some grandparents today, not just to release their grandkids, but to be released themselves. Lord, maybe it's a short-term endeavor. to see what you're doing globally. Maybe it's to make a commitment to pray for an unengaged and unreached people on a daily basis, stewarding the name of a people who may not otherwise be brought to your kingdom. Lord, I pray for a, young man or a young woman today that is asking, what what should I give my life to? Maybe there's a gap year. Maybe there's a two-year period where life could be lived abroad for the sake of your glory and for their own joy. I pray for a young couple that's got kids wondering, how could I do something like this for your glory in a place that you're not known? Lord, open doors, open hearts, begin conversations and Lord, for that one who's here today, and maybe they've they've never heard that Christ is here, that he has changed us, and he can change me too. Lord, the joy of the gospel is that, God, you really do save sinners from South Asia to right here. Lord, from the guy in the pulpit this morning who was just a high school student that you loved enough to open my eyes and my heart to the fact that I was running away and disobedient. But God, you were good and you called me to yourself. God, you changed me and you sent me. Lord, not not for my glory, but certainly for my joy. Lord, there may be bad days, but the writer of Hebrew tells us to strive, make an effort for the day that's coming. Lord, when all things will be made right, all bad things will be undone, when all people from all places will worship you and glorify you. For, Lord, you are our great king. Not just a great king. You're our great king. You're the great king. And, Lord, we pray that you would send us out joyfully proclaiming the glories, the excellencies, and the and the the joy of knowing the one who has sent us. Lord, we, we, we don't just get sent. We, we go with you. We've been invited to be your co-laborers. So, Lord, down the street, around the world, neighbors to nations, from everywhere to everyone, God, you've called us. Lord, draw us in and send us out. And, Lord, for that one brother or sister here today, and they're just not sure, I pray today, Christ, you would, Speak openly. Lord, proclaim your kingdom to them. For you are a great king, and you are worthy to be worshipped. Every place the sun touches, every place people worship, and every place you're not known. Lord, for your glory.